In Season 3 of the Culture Gooder Podcast, we're doing a deep dive into each of our 12 teams, or as we call them, flocks. In today's episode, we're talking with Mike, the leader of our brand and design team. Their nickname is the Illuminati. We are prolific creators at Gooder. From content to product, social to web, internal presentation to wall graphics, t-shirts to sunglasses. And we make a lot of fucking sunglasses. One thing that's really hard as a brand is how do you make sure you keep your integrity and stay on brand without getting stale? As Mike and I talk about, his team, the Illuminati, focus on being fun and authentic when creating versus being cool and liked. Your brand is what other people say about you when you're not in the room. And I like to think that people say pretty fun things about us. Mike and I have been friends and colleagues for over 10 years. We went on tandem bike rides together on the beaches of Southern California sunset walks in Minnesota, and dance at nightclubs on multiple continents. One thing Mike has taught me is when you show up with energy and authenticity, everything else will take care of itself. Let's talk to Mike. This is Culture Gooder with Stephen Leese and Sean Tinney. Each episode this season, we're talking to a different flock leader of the Gooder team to give you a more in-depth look at how we status the quo challenge. Hey, Mike. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. Heck yeah. Let's get things started with a few lightning round questions, huh? Let's do it. All right. How many hours of sleep do you need? Man, I mean, I love a good sleep. So ideally, we're talking eight, nine, I can push it to 10. But I mean, reality, we're we're talking like seven. But as you all know, I'm a big ASMR fan. So it really, really depends on how long it takes me to find a good video before before it's lights out. So That's the pre-work. That's the pre-work. Thanks a lot. Okay, cool. All right. Pen or pencil? Pen. Without a doubt. Got it. Toilet paper. Is that thing going over or under on the distribution? I mean, there's layers here. Are we talking how we load the toilet paper holder? Or are we talking about wiping yeah. here? Like, I guess, yeah, like, right. the answer, <laughs> I mean, right? Oh, my God. I didn't even think about it that way. We're just loading the roll only. <laughs> over, for sure. Is there even a debate? Okay. That's the only answer. <laughs> That's the correct answer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Scale of 1 to 10. How good are you at wiffle ball? I legit don't think I've ever played wiffle ball, but I'm pretty confident I'm going to go 7. So. <laughs> All right. Impressive. I like that. You're just good at stuff, huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Okay, you know. cool. What's your spirit animal and why? Red panda. Honestly, no major reason. I just, at the time, like, I was really into them. Thought they were cute. Thought they were hilarious online. Not really sure what that says about me, but uh, I just identify with it, and I love it. You're just cute and hilarious. <laughs> I guess. I don't know about either of those, but. They're sweet as pie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. All right, Mike. So what's your two-minute version of your journey to Gooder? Where were you before? Or, and uh, how did you hear about the brand? Ooh, all great questions. So, Stephen, obviously, you know, we go way back. So we worked at a sporting goods company in the marketing department together for a number of years. After that, I think, Stephen, you left first. I shortly jumped ship after that, moved to New York, and decided to work for a major telecommunications company. Worked with a lot of great people. But uh, I was getting my soul crushed. It was... Uh, You're just a drone. Yeah, I was a corporate drone going to the office, <laughs> just another worker bee going into the hive. <laughs> kind of around this time, Stephen reached out and said, hey, you know, we're doing this gooder thing, which I've heard of. We have our sunglasses. Could really use the help on just a lot of various items. And at that time, there was you, Carrie, and Ben. It was a really small team. And so everybody was wearing a bunch of hats. They asked me to kind of come on board, help out with the Kickstarter. And of course, at that time, I was like, yes, this sounds amazing, something I really wanted to do. And so over the next couple of years, year and a half, worked as a contractor 
And normally contractors get paid, but over this year and a half, uh, I did not. And so I finally decided to call C. I was like, hey, this has been a lot of fun, but kind of need some cash here. I'm in New York. It's really expensive. Shortly thereafter, Stephen mentioned, he's like, hey, what do you think about joining full time? And I just pulled the shoot out of that telecommunications. And here we are. That was the catalyst. So that was the beginning. But how I heard about the brand, I think the first time I ever really saw the word gutter was a text from you, Stephen. And I'm pretty sure you sent this to a number of people, but you were asking advice. Hey, we are starting this brand. We're deciding between a name, Gooder, and I don't even remember the other one, which is funny. So clearly the right choice was made. <laughs> and I think that was the first time it was Gooder and something else. And that was the first time I heard the word Gooder. I, I should find some of the other names because the other names we were throwing around were awful. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you even remember one? Of uh, one was... Uh, Cyania, because it's a type of octopus that changes colors. And so, uh-huh. so that, uh, that one I do remember. Yeah. And then, yeah, just a bunch of other just garbage names. Mm-hmm. That's like way more complex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's almost hard to pronounce. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, Mike. So can you briefly summarize for our listeners what your role is, lame title, real title, and what you're up to? For sure. So for me, I head up the brand strategy and design flux at Gooder. Man, I mean... I think we've talked about this a lot. I really hate the word strategy. It's such a loaded term these days and kind of makes me nauseous talking about it, but here we are. So really within the context of Gooder, what that looks like is looking at our years and figuring out, hey, when are we going to add in certain energy points to make sure we're growing and connecting with our consumers? So that can take various shapes, right? That can be, hey, what partnerships are we going to do? What sort of new models are we going to drop? What are our product launches? When does something like Cosmic Crystals come into play? When does something like Tropical Opticals come into play? And basically aligning all of that. And then as for the design side of things, it's, it's really about making sure we stay authentic to who we are, right? Are we living into our values? And really, are we remaining consistent to our look and feel that we define regularly? But full transparency, this is owned by our designers. They absolutely crush it. So, I mean, it's basically at this point, just me giving feedback and guidance when needed and just like getting the hell out of their way because, I mean, they own it, so they kill it. My title, so lame title, right, is head of strategy and design. That's super lame. My actual title is the Schemen Demon. I mean, obviously, had to rhyme. The demon thing, I just kind of have to lean into it. The puppet masters call me a demon or they call me the demolition man because I'm constantly blowing up launch calendars. So just figure, you know, why not kind of embrace it? Lastly, flock title, we're the brand team, but... Our real name is the Illuminati because we are everywhere and nowhere at the same time. <laughs> All right, Mike, we'll tell you listeners at a high level, go into like the Illuminati's values, areas of focus. Yeah, get a little more granular for us. Yeah, for sure. So at a very high level, what we strive to do is create connection and energy around the good or brand through next level designs and obviously amazing partnerships and external relationships. So Making that happen and is really looking at our own personal values as well as gooder values. So for the design team, our two values are resiliency and transparency. So starting with resiliency, the purpose of this one is to really help us avoid that stagnation and that complacency. And in order to do that, you have to repeatedly take risks. And anytime you're repeatedly taking risks, failure is inevitable, right? I mean, not necessarily all the time, but it's it's inevitable. It happens. And so for us, it's Hey, how are we learning from this? How are we growing from this? And how can we come back stronger? And then transparency is definitely an aspirational one for us. It's something we're continuously working on, but it's about how can we inspire our flocks and our team members internally to have clarity around what's coming from launches, from designs, from partnerships, so they have the clarity in the space that they need to excel at their roles, but 
also get them incredibly excited through the designs and through the storytelling we're executing. So that's kind of like our values. And then our areas of focus, so we have five. Kind of going in order here, we have identity, which is defining the visual identity of the gooder brand. We have energy, which can also be referred to as strategy, which again, I hate that term, but again, here we are. That is creating hype at Gutter both internally and externally. We have design, creating connection through next level designs, pretty self-explanatory. We have partnerships, which is growing the brand through engaging partnerships. And then cohesion, which is making sure all flocks are aligned so we can crush it. Nice. Sean, you ready to shoot for this? Yeah, you want to call the ball this time? All right, we'll go Oz. One, two, three, shoot. Ooh, I'm back. Bam. I'm back. Oh. He's back on top. Oh. <laughs> all right, I'll kick us off here. The Illuminati, uh, walk us through what's your team's structures, roles, responsibilities. So the Illuminati is broken up into two groups, I suppose, or factions, if you will. Faction just feels like an Illuminati term, so that feels right. (laughs) So it feels like it fits. So on the brand side, this is obviously kind of focusing around that energy that we talked about. So things like partnerships, PR, overarching sort of launches. Design is really everything under the sun that good or design. So this is anything from business cards to sunglasses that falls under the design umbrella. So looking at kind of the structure and, and the role. So on the brand side sits myself and Karen, myself taking care of the different launches, laying out the energy maps, making sure there's transparency within the company. And then Karen, who recently started, who's incredible, she heads up all things partnerships. So partnerships is an incredibly exciting thing to do when you're working with Warner Brothers or you're working with Rolling Stones. But I think people only see the tip of the iceberg, which is always amazing. But what goes into that is an incredible amount of nuance. It's the approvals. It's the contract negotiations. It's the payments. It's all the back and forth. So she does an amazing job of handling all of that. So that's the brand side. And then the design team is really a a cohesive group. Everyone does a little bit of everything from frame designs to launch assets to miscellaneous creative requests that come in from various flocks. And so on this side, we have three team members. We have Aaron, who is an amazing art director. So his job and his role really falls into setting the design direction for all of our really major initiatives. So anything that's revolving around general brand aesthetics, he's setting that. All of our major launches, our packaging, making sure that things are remaining cohesive and that story is being told. And then we have Liz and AJ, who are two incredible graphic designers. So Liz and AJ both crush some of the production stuff, but also have a lot of ownership in terms of taking maybe an aesthetic that was created by Aaron and making that come to life across other touch points. So that could be, hey, cool, we have this colorway and this palette. What does this look like on the website? What does this look like on social media? What does this look like across various different things? And so that is really how the Illuminati is broken up. Awesome. So we've got a top level content production team here. How do you determine what's the line between what falls under design versus content and who's responsible for what? Yeah, I think there's levels to this. Obviously, at the highest of level, it's sort of like, hey, anything photo, film, or copy related comes to the content production team. And then obviously, on the flip side of that, it's anything visual, anything graphical related, like that's us. Obviously, with something like this, there's a ton of nuance. So let's take, for example, an Instagram story. Copy will start with, hey, this is sort of what I think the flow will be. I want five slides. I've got copy for this, this, and this. And that'll be kind of the driving force between how the content will look. And a lot of times, We'll get a brief and it'll be, hey, I want these slides with this copy and we'll take it eight times out of 10. It's great. The flow works. But in certain situations, we'll push back. We'll have conversations. We'll say, hey, this balance is off. There's too much on this. The flow isn't right. It isn't aligning. And so we'll work on that front. 
going in a little deeper, there's also the level of who's driving some of the launch aesthetics and kind of the creative on that front. Because again, you have a content powerhouse who does a lot of amazing things as well as not to toot our own horn here, but we're pretty fucking sweet too. So we do a lot of amazing (laughs) shit. And there's definitely that balance. Who is kind of driving that aesthetic and that overall vision? And I think it boils down to how we break up our launches. So we break them up into tiers. So we have tier one to tier four. And so what that looks like is for tier one, it's getting all the fixings, right? It's getting video, it's getting lifestyle shots, it's getting product shots, it's getting all of these things. So for us on the design side, it becomes great. How can we supplement these amazing pieces of content in a way that tells the story that these are these photos and videos are communicating? And then on the flip side of that, as we go down, let's say tier four, things become a little bit more design heavy because things flip a little bit. Maybe it's just product shots. And so for design, it becomes, okay, now we have to create the world around this sunglass. And so the roles flip and it becomes the content team sort of being like, cool, how can we support design and the Illuminati in their vision of what this world looks like? That's kind of the ramble. I mean, there's definitely a ton of nuance here. But after working, you know, with everybody, we've got a really close relationship that just is very fluid. And I think we're always really on the same page, which is great. Mike, we're obviously prolific creators here at Good Earth. How do y'all process all the incoming design requests and keep things on track? That's a great question. I'm not really sure. That's a real, I really have no idea, but it's a number of things, right? I think first and foremost, it's GTD. That's huge. And that falls in the individual, right? Making sure their system is completely dialed and ready to go. That's number one. Next, it's a lot of support from Puppet Masters. They do an amazing job of helping keep us on track with launches, as well as making sure that we're reviewing and assigning design requests properly. And I think next, and perhaps most importantly, I think we have regular touch points throughout the week, some more important, some bigger than others, but having that sort of face-to-face communication is always important. So on Monday, we start off with our big weekly meeting where we set everything up. On Tuesdays, we move into a design review where Steven, you're involved, products involved, where we look at a lot of 2D samples of like, hey, this is what product could look like. We look at physical samples. We look at aesthetics for launches and we get a lot of approvals and direction set in those meetings. And then throughout the week, we also have touch points Wednesday and Friday, which are quick 25 minutes, just an opportunity for the flock members to ask for feedback as well as push or negotiate timelines to make sure that we're not becoming too overwhelmed. It definitely sounds like a lot, But I think the one thing with design that we always try to maintain is we are prolific creators and we also love to storytell. And I think it's really important sometimes to have that face-to-face with designers so they can communicate through what their thought process was for a certain designed asset or something like that. Because putting things on Slack seems to suck all the context and thought out of it. So having the opportunity to allow somebody to talk through, hey, I did this because of this. I did this because of that. Just gives you more context and understanding of how things work together. So those touch points are important, and it's definitely a balance of giving them the space to create, but also being there to give feedback and support when needed. So I heard organization, constant communication and feedback, and then the puppet masters cracking the whip. That's great. I should have just said that. (laughs) 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 On that note, how do you, like within the context of your team, you know, you're obviously collaborating with other teams quite a bit, but how do you work independently or create space for designers to work independently and then also work creatively as a team? Does everybody handle their own projects or how does that work? Yeah, so 
it's definitely like a, a blend of that like autonomy, space, and clarity. And so it all kind of funnels in together. So if we're looking at a sunglass launch or design, how this will work is we'll kick it off with a key roll holder brainstorm, which is usually just a belligerent conversation around what this launch could be, what it would look like. From there, how this will work is design will regroup. Everybody will come to the table based off what we agreed to at the brainstorm and put together their own vision board and inspiration. And so at the end of our design inspiration, we'll have kind of an agreed upon aesthetic. And so we're all getting clarity around, hey, do we know where the direction of this launch is going from a design standpoint? We don't leave until we know. And at that point, we then assign it to a designer to take that product, to take it to the next action, and then see that project through. And I think what's great there is they have clarity to start. They know the direction it's going. We then give autonomy for them to own that. It's not everybody fighting with each other on different design aspects. And then also you step back and you give them space to make that happen throughout. And we're not really set up traditionally like some other departments where you have a product design team. Maybe you have a digital design team. Maybe you have somebody, some sales support. I think for us, it's cohesive, which at times can be daunting, but to have somebody and to have that design presence throughout the entire process just allows for that complete cohesion and that through line that is really powerful that just helps us from storytelling if your sunglasses match what you're trying to do with your packaging and your POP and then your launch assets. To have that kind of all roll in together and to have that one designer kind of looking over that throughout the process just helps immensely. I think one of the cool things if, if you're on the design team or the Illuminati at Gooder is you get to work on product, packaging, marketing. So walk people the differences between all those. Yeah. So, I mean, it's super interesting. I mean, there's drastic differences, especially when you're looking at the worlds of product versus marketing. I mean, it's, it's, it's so drastically different. The obvious difference is the medium in which it's displayed. So for marketing, you, it's primarily digital for us, right? We don't do a ton of print. We don't do a lot of external sort of billboards and stuff. But that medium is a blank canvas. You have a lot of space to work with. You have really no constraints in terms of processes. And you're, you have a lot more control since you aren't beholden to certain treatments. Now, on the flip side of that, when you're working with, let's take sunglasses, there's a ton of limitations. You have graphic application processes that can only do so much. You can only have certain colorways. You can only do certain styles, right? There are that. And then not to mention the real estate you have on a pair of sunglasses is nothing. It's like, what, half an inch? It's like, how are we, like, we going to tell the story on a fucking half an inch here? Like, what are we, we going to do? So it puts these like constraints on there. But what's odd, and I guess I don't want to speak for everybody on the design team, is like, I love that. I love when there's these constraints put on certain things because it forces you to look at things in a completely new way. So in marketing, you kind of have that blank canvas to go wherever you want. But with product, things are kind of hyper-focused. So you have to look at, hey, what can we do that's interesting here that's different? What sort of application can we apply to this? What sort of material can we use here? Can we put a heat transfer here, a water transfer there? What can we do that sets us apart, but also plays within these constraints that we're given? And I think that's just really interesting. And lastly, I'll say the act of creating something in a two-dimensional screen world and then getting that back is so incredibly rewarding. Even if it comes out looking like shit, it's still like, wow, this is my baby. I made this. I'm glad you said that. I was talking to Aaron, who's on your team and our amazing art director about favorite projects and most proud of. And he's always cites product because typically a lot of designers actually never get to see or hold a physical yeah. product of the work they do. 
and yeah. you realize you're like, oh yeah, like, I, that is fucking cool. Like that's a really cool thing. It's amazing, and it does force you with the two dimensional space, right? Like you, what you see is kind of what you get. But with product, it's a three dimensional object that exists kind of wherever. So you have to take into account, like, okay, how this, how will this look in this situation? How does it look on this side? Like, there's a ton of more experiential things that you're accounting for that you don't necessarily have to account for. Like for an Instagram story, you're just like, cool, I know exactly how this person is going to interact with this. I don't know how somebody's going to fucking wear their sunglasses. Are they putting them on their head? Are they like, you know, like, are they throwing them in a bag? Like, are they like, there's all these things that you try to like, you know, think of when you're designing it. And you definitely get that when you hold it in your hand, which is just a really cool experience. Yeah, super cool. Yeah. So you've talked through some of the material and form factor challenges of designing for sunglasses in particular, but you must have learned a lot as a team over the years. Can you just talk about how you approach that challenge of designing for a three-dimensional product like sunglasses? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely lowering your expectations because, I mean, <laughs> Steve, I don't know how many times we've been in this design review where you're looking at a 2D graphic, you're like, this is going to just fucking is, kill. Yeah. This is going to be, we're giving out <laughs> high fives and we just walk out of that room. You wait three weeks and you get it back and it just looks fucking awful. And you're yeah. just like, <laughs> we're, just like we're like, what, what happened here? But I think it's maintaining your expectations. But also what we've done now after learning this the hard way so many times is you set up contingency plans. You're like, okay, this is the winner. But let's be honest, we need to have two or three other samples that are maybe different, that are perhaps a little bit more subdued, that take a different direction. So we don't lose this time. And a lot of times you end up going with maybe a second or third option because the first option's application process was just too difficult to replicate. So there's been a lot of learnings in that way, which is obviously frustrating because you didn't get maybe your first choice and you did a lot of work on a lot of other options, but it saves you time. And then it's part of the process that we've installed to make sure we're not losing a bunch of time in the development process. Yeah, I think the thing we were talking about of like one of my talks about getting multiple samples is we do launch so much stuff. So it's, there's always a like, if we have seven things that work, we'll just do another version of this for something else. And so that's a cool thing. And also products sometimes will just show up with amazing applications. They're like, we can do this now. Yeah. So they're awesome. But Mike, do you get a sick thrill? Like when you, you all come up with something that product is just like, we, we can't fucking do that. We're definitely in a constant state of battle. Like it's definitely a constant <laughs> battle between us where it's like, you'll come to the meeting with something and there's definitely that air of maybe we'll see type of thing. But it's always great. And to your point, the relationship that we have, especially on those Tuesday meetings, is great, right? It's a push and pull. It's a lot of great conversations with product being like, hey, this is impossible. We can't do this, but what we could do, and you get to a place that you didn't necessarily think you would ever get to, but it ends up better because things are able to happen quicker. It works within our timelines. It helps also the, we don't really deal a lot with costs and cogs, but like that is a real thing to consider and design our product has a much better understanding of that. It's always nice to kind of have that back and forth because they keep us tethered because otherwise we'd be floating past Jupiter at this point if we didn't have oh, somebody I... like fucking being like, no, what do you, what is this? Yeah. I mean, Mountain and Brian and, and the product team is really cool too about being like, we could do this application. We could do this on the front and this on the mm. back and create that effect. And you're just like, oh, look who's designing now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. But it, it is very collaborative. It's really cool. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. All right, Max. So besides brand guidelines, what are other standards that must be met before releasing things into the world? Yeah, for sure. I think this folds into the brand guidelines a little bit, but obviously, first and foremost, does this speak to our values? Is this fun? Is this authentically us? That's really important. And the next, like within the context of our different launches, does it communicate the launch and the storytelling we're trying to achieve? So in the case of Cosmic Crystals, does this evoke that like astrology 
energy that you want to exude from this? Like, is that working? And that's a big question that we always have to ask ourselves when we're doing this. And that's number one. And then for certain launches, especially if we're doing a new model, especially if we're doing perhaps a inline drop or something where we want to interject just some more colorways into our line, we ask ourselves, we have three tiers. We call it mild, styled, and wild. It's basically a mix of different colorways. So at the top of that mild, right, it's like, hey, what are kind of the, I guess, for lack of a better term, safer colors that people will maybe gravitate towards more? So like black, tortoise, gray, styles that like medium world of like, okay, you know, maybe you're blue, maybe you're a little crazy, maybe you're going to green, I don't know, like it's kind of crazy. And then you have full blown wild where we're just going volt yellow, we're going lightning blue, we're going pink, we're going all crazy. Because there is a mix. You want to have the fun in there, but you can't just have all wild because then people will get a little bit overwhelmed. And so you want to make sure you have something that can like bring somebody in that's exciting, but then maybe they go with the mild because it's just more of a versatile pair. So those are some things that we always try to ask ourselves as we're launching, especially certain launches, but other launches like holiday or something is always wild. Cool. So you've already kind of talked to the back and forth between design and product, but how many revisions can it take to get a project complete? <laughs> it depends who you ask. Like, I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, if you're asking the puppet masters, one, because they're trying to <laughs> they're trying to move things along. If you're talking to the fungineers, I mean, maybe two to three. Dial it in. For me, it's as many as it takes. Like, I'm not quitting. I'm like, I'm not quitting. I know we do done is better than perfect, but there's just certain things where, and there's certain pairs that you're just like, this isn't quite right. We we got to go back. And so it's definitely in between that like two to three range for sure, but. I've definitely gone back more than that before, for sure. Is there one that just took like 10 plus that's actually made it through? Yeah. Well, one that's fairly recent is the Welcome to the Neighborhood Batman pair. So what we tried to do with that is we looked at it from an interesting way. We wanted to create this cityscape on the inside of the glasses so that when you looked through, it was sort of like a foggy sort of translucent cityscape in there. But what we wanted to do is have the bat signal shine through in some way, shape, or form. So we were going back and forth with, is it on the outside? Can we do it on the inside? I'm kind of throwing out the contingency plans that I just mentioned previously because we definitely didn't set those in place here. It was more like we were just confident, like, this is going to work. This, and it kept coming back, and it just wasn't quite right. But eventually, we got there. I mean, I still I love that pair. I think it's just really cool. It's a really interesting way to use the material of the sunglass. But it was definitely a challenge to get it to where it needed to be. And one of the reasons we do sample so much is because when you're sampling back and forth overseas, you only have a handful of iterations. Yeah. How do we stand out in a sea of graphics? Man, I really wish I had like some cerebral answer that like takes into account like moon cycles and like consumers <laughs> moods and like how it all ties into like a specific color theory. But like <laughs> there really isn't an exact science. I mean, especially now, right? When you look at the world of digital, your chain and you're kind of beholden to the algorithm. You don't know what you're going to stack up against. You don't necessarily know exactly where you're going to show up at what time of the day. So for us, it's not necessarily, we look at analytics for sure, but we don't try to chase that. For us, it's focusing on our values. Is this fun and authentic? Like we said. Also, how is this living in to the launch and the story we're trying to tell? And I think going back to kind of, we talked about earlier, this really ties into how we work with content and how we work with, you know, even digital and social and activations to make sure that we're telling that cohesive story, that everything comes together. And one thing we always talk about is the three things of attract, engage, capture. So with attract, right, it's like, how are we bringing people in? How are we catching them with either amazing visuals? Is it 
amazing, vibrant sunglasses. And then the Engage, right, is like all the amazing names that we come up with, all the amazing copy that we come up with. And then the Capture is really like, okay, the $25 price point, the tech points, all the work that the Dino Squad does together, all of that stuff. And it's really not a singular event in my mind. It's really a complete process. And when all those things really come together as one, I think that's when you really stand out. Because you can see on Instagram when people aren't being authentically themselves, things are disjointed, you can instantly feel it and you get turned off. So those are the things we try to focus on. And that comes down to that cohesion areas of focus for us. Uh, What I like that you said there, Mike, just kind of going back to making sure it's fun and authentic. Mm -hmm. If we went off analytics, every pair would be black and tortoiseshell. Like that's just what it would happen. (laughs) It said, you know, we're, this is fun. This is us. And I don't know. I think the gift that is gooder is we do so much stuff. We're like, yes, this is a weird ass thing we're going to do. We're still going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like full transparency, I'll be the first to admit that this shit doesn't always work out. We put out some dogs, like, to be honest, that like just really didn't work. But then I'm going to tie it back to our first value of resiliency. You got to dust it off and and get back in there. So, but I think it's just like a combination of all that stuff and remaining authentic and being fun. That's really the crux of it. Yeah. And like you said earlier, maybe the wild pair is what attracts someone's initial attention. I want to be the guy that wears those yeah. pairs and I like them. And then I put them on and I'm like, I'm going to go with maybe the more mild one. And that's fine. I got a you know, so I yeah. got black V-neck on. Yeah. I got to get a pair of black glasses. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> exactly. It's amazing. You know, working some events, you'll see what will happen is, is people will come into either, if you're at an event like a, a marathon, right? They'll come into the booth and they'll instantly gravitate towards Flamingos on a Booze Cruise or maybe even Phoenix at a Bloody Mary bar. But they put it back and then they leave with Ginger Soul, right? They just, they leave or Bosley's Bassett Hound Dreams. And you're like, all right, so this is working in some capacity. Maybe not initially like we thought, but it does kind of funnel into that idea of attracting people with this wild pair of sunglasses. And then they leave with a black pair. I I like to think that we connected with them in some way that brought them in. For sure. And then maybe that just kind of wets their beak, so to speak. And then down the line, they get a little little wilder uh, as they go. That's how it starts. (laughs) Okay, so let's say that there's a graphic designer out there listening to this. This sounds like a fun challenge. How does one become a designer here at Gooder? Do you ever work with freelancers or what's our approach? Yeah, for sure. I mean, bring in the energy, bring their creativity, of course. But, you know, as I kind of alluded to before, I think one thing that we love to do here is storytell. And I think anytime you can include that in either your portfolios or your projects or talk through that stands out to us in a major way. So if you're like, hey, I did this, this and this to tell this, this and this story. That is a great sign because we're always doing that, right? Like with Cosmic, with Tropical Opticals, with everything that we do, with Carl's Anti-Resolutions, it's like having that experience and being able to see things in that way is huge for us. Right. So speaking of that, wasn't Tropical Opticals something Aaron brought in like during his interview process? Yes, it was interesting. So we kind of started with a brief. We had this idea of a line. It's, it's kind of called Tropical Opticals. And that was pretty much it. And we had that idea. It was sent out. It was like sort of like, hey, you know, maybe come in, doesn't need to be extensive, but come in maybe with a quick thought of like maybe what a logo would look like, maybe what a singular pair of sunglasses would look like. And what's amazing is Aaron came in with incredible logo that's used today. And Mm -hmm. he came in with two pairs that are used today. It's amazing to see that project come full circle. And not to mention he was in the photo shoot. So he's like fully immersed in this thing. And it's funny because I was talking to him, obviously, on, on the other day. And he's like, you know, Tropical Opticals launched like, this might be the last time and hopefully soon that we never have to talk about it again because I've just like <laughs> been part of my life for what feels like five years, which is crazy. But it is really cool that that kind of came out of that process. I love that. What are some projects you're most proud of? 
Yeah, major launches for sure if we're looking at the cosmic and tropical opticals. Just having that opportunity to do that immersive storytelling from everything, from doing the sunglasses to the packaging to the massive POP to assets, all of that stuff and all the cohesion that happens within it and working with the different departments has been incredible. The other one is definitely the Rolling Stones. I'm a huge fan of the Rolling Stones, as I know a lot of people are. Steven, I know you're a massive fan. Oh, fuck yeah. Uh, yeah, so... I really love that product line. Not to mention, I just, I really like the product package overall, the experience of getting to open it. And it's an amazing blend of the hot lips and the gooder world. And being able to kind of blend those two is so unexpected. Definitely not something that I ever thought we'd be able to work on, but we are. And it's an amazing, amazing opportunity that you got to stop and be proud of for a moment because it's really cool. Yeah, that one turned out amazing. So, Mike, what's your big vision for the future as a design team? Maybe talk a little bit about Project Household if you can as well. For the design team, I think like two things. First, it's from a design side, it's always looking at what the next iteration of the Gooder aesthetic is, right? I mean, we also recognize that design is typically the first flock to get sick of anything because we see it every single day. I can't tell you how many times I've used the color pink, teal, palm fronds, but we understand that that's not the case for everybody. Only we get the fire hose, everybody else gets that leaky faucet, right? It's like it drips. but It's definitely important to understand, though, that there is a balance, right? Because the second a consumer thinks your brand is stale, you're too late. So keeping that in mind and always striving to be ahead and fresh is incredibly important. And it's crucial, especially in the eyewear industry, which is it's so congested. There's so many people and there's always new people coming in trying to do what you do better, trying to do their own thing, which could be better. And so always just challenging yourself to look at things differently and, and do something new. And then I think just the other vision I recently had in Offsite last week with the design team because we've just it's been a lot we've been doing a lot and sort of just to kind of take a barometer and gauge of like how everyone's feeling and I think one thing is how can we create more ownership and clarity within our team which is really important and as I mentioned we have a lot of ownership and a lot of people doing a lot of different things how can we give ownership over certain tasks certain maybe vertical requests maybe certain flock requests so people have a little bit more autonomy and ownership over certain things because we talk a lot about it, Gooder. What was great for Gooder this year and last year isn't maybe right for Gooder next year. And so always looking at that. But I think the other thing too is always making sure launches and the ability to design frames and aesthetic is open to all designers because I love having that variety. If you kind of have one person dictating all of that, you're not going to get that variety. I love seeing what Liz brings to the table with her designs because it's different than what AJ does or what Aaron does. So it gives you that like alternating design and perspective, which is always great. Yeah, for sure. This thing that is kind of floating out there, Project Household, can you talk Give about that a little like, bit? That just like, like the 30-second setup and then drop it and then just, just tease it. Yeah, for sure. So basically, Project Household is, I mean, there's, there's so many layers to this. I don't know. I'm kind of just struggling where to go. So there's two stories. I'll try and tell this as quickly as possible. One, I'm going to tell you what it actually is. It's just a massive 360 marketing campaign that's geared towards acquisition and engagement to new customers. We do a really good job of creating these like retention launches, these amazing storytelling campaigns that are great for existing customers. But how can we tell a different story that's geared towards new customers? Talking about our price point, our tech points, definitely talking about our value prop. That's what it is. Now, why it's called Project Household is a slightly different story. This is kind of sound petty, but I get these texts from my mom, sometimes my friends, all coming from the nicest of places. But it's always something like, oh, my God, I saw such and such wearing Gooder sunglasses around the lake today while running, or I saw them at REI. 
and it comes from the nicest of places. It's so nice. But there's that air of like, oh, wow, Mike's little cute startup thing is going so well. And I'm kind of like, damn it. You know how many packages we're shipping to D.C.? You know how many, Bob? Like, <laughs> you know who we're working with? Like, we're a bigger deal. And so the idea of a project household is like, how can we make Gutter just more of a household name? And then selfishly, how can I just stop these texts from coming in? Because <laughs> I don't want to sound like I'm petty. And that's why we're doing this whole campaign, because this has been on the books for whatever. But it's kind of why it's called Project Household. Because <laughs> I apparently... But, it, but, it, but it's kind of why. I mean, maybe, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah enough, that all yeah. works. <laughs> yeah. Let's wrap things up with some advice here. As you look back on your career at Gooder, what do you feel is your, your biggest fuck up so far or one thing you wish you would have done differently? Oh, I mean, I think we talked about this on the Black Friday podcast, but 2018, I was in charge of that. That was a complete nightmare. Didn't really tell anybody that what was going on. So that was a complete fuck up. We also recently launched a pair of sunglasses around a major golf tournament with a certain traditional spring flare spring flare yeah and <laughs> didn't really take into account some of the legal repercussions of using certain names terminology and colorways <laughs> with this very prestigious <laughs> tournament we received a cease and desist and were unable to sell those products it happens it happens Somewhere we're going to frame these cease and desist because it's not the first and it's certainly not going to be the last. So <laughs> we'll keep rolling. Fair enough. All right. Well, what about the biggest shift you've made to the Illuminati as a flock? Oddly enough, I think it's just getting out of their way, basically doing less, which <laughs> I guess is what it is. Great answer. Leadership skills. Yeah, trying. Way to go. <laughs> All right. What about the thing you're most proud of? So many things. I think the ownership that the team has over design, I think, is incredible. But I also just love the Tuesday design review meetings. Initially, that was something like I led, but then handed off to Aaron, who was doing a way better job at leading it. But I think it's a great opportunity to get to see everything that AJ is putting out there, which is absolutely incredible, what Liz is doing, which is absolutely incredible, which what Aaron is doing. And what I love about it is I see that shit every day. But it's really amazing to have Steven see it, to have Mountain see it, and they are able to see the excitement and the validation they get from that. Because they get that shit from me every day, and it's like, well, you have to give me validation. But to get it from Steven and to get it from others in that first moment is, just, I think, just really special and a testament to just how amazing they are at their roles. So if you were to offer three cheat codes for anybody in the design space, what do you got? Yeah, for sure. An old boss of Steven and I used to say, make friends with failure. And I know that's kind of a cliche and it's really hard to do in practice, but I think it is something to lean into, especially leaning into that idea of resiliency. These are all really hard cheat codes, by the way. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm great at them. I think definitely making space for hard feedback and leaning into it, it absolutely sucks, but it'll make you better and creating that space. It's okay to say no. I think also with that, is there an opportunity to say no, but I can't do this, but I can do this. So having kind of a, a growth point there but also giving yourself permission to say no and negotiate certain timelines and tasks and to not feel like you have to do everything. All right. Mike, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast again. It's been great to have you. It's been great to be here. Thank you. Thanks as always, Stephen. And thanks everybody for listening. Be sure to subscribe and send us your questions at gooder.com slash culture. Until next time, be excellent to each other. Thank you so much for listening. Send us your questions, learn more, and find episode resources at gooder.com slash culture. If you enjoyed yourself today, which we're sure you did, we would be so grateful if you could please leave us your star rating and review. That minute and a half of your time, it really does help people find us. And don't forget to share us on your stories, tell your friends, tell your parents, 
tell your delivery person who's probably listening to some other shitty podcast right now. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Culture Gooder and Stephen at Stephen Lease. That's Stephen with a PH because those V people are not trustworthy. Culture Gooder is produced by our in-house Gooder team. So many thanks to the Culture Gooder team and also everyone else at Gooder, really without whom there obviously would be nothing to even podcast about. At Gooder, we exist to give you the permission to be unabashedly yourself, unless you're an asshole. So don't be. See you next time.